I'm Eric Sean, and welcome to Riddle, the podcast, my in-depth conversations with those involved in our Fox Nation special, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa and my Fox News reporting. Thanks for listening. For the next half hour, you'll hear from Father Jonathan Morris, longtime Fox News contributor and good friend. Father Morris is the pastor of Our Lady of Carmel Church in the Bronx, New York, and he is also a best-selling author. His latest book is The Way of Serenity. Father Morris knows Frank Sheeran's story very well. He plays Frank's priest in the Netflix film The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's opus that stars Robert De Niro as Frank and tells the story of Frank's claims and what brought him to confess that he killed Jimmy Hoffa. A fascinating, fascinating view. Here now, Father Jonathan Morris. But first, let me get you quickly up to speed. Jimmy Hoffa, he disappeared on July 30th, 1975, from the parking lot of the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. It was believed he was headed to a meeting with Detroit mob boss Anthony Tony Jack Giacalone and New Jersey Genovese captain and Teamster official Tony Tony Pro Provenzano. Well, in 2001, Buffalino crime family member and Teamster official Frank Sharon, an admitted mafia killer, he told me he shot Hoffa in a house in Detroit. I met him as part of his proposed biography, which became the book, I Heard You Paint Houses. In 2004, we went to that house. We pulled up the tiles on the hardwood floor, and we actually found blood. The pattern fit Sharon's story precisely. The greatest amount of the possible evidence was in front of the foyer closet door, where Sharon says Hoffa hit his head on the floor. Seven drops went down the hallway to the kitchen, where Sharon says Hoffa's body was dragged out by two accomplices and was cremated. The FBI did find blood. They said one drop was inconclusive in terms of the DNA match. Another one was to an unknown male. There was no match to Hoffa, which is why I am calling on the government to release all of the Hoffa FBI investigation files fully now. Let the Hoffa family and the American public know what's been secret for so long and that we have been denied knowing and retest the blood evidence we found using the latest DNA technology. A fascinating, fascinating view. Here now, Father Jonathan Morris. Father, thank you for joining us. Um, you know this Frank Sheeran story very well. Um, let's start with the issue of confession, the purpose of confession, its role, and its meaning. Uh, sure. Well, the purpose of confession, of course, is... Uh, to be reconciled with God. And uh, we, the sacrament of confession goes back to the scripture in which Jesus said to his disciples, uh, the scripture says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, uh, the sins that you hold bound on earth will be held bound in heaven. The sins that you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, that we consider in the Catholic Church to be the moment of the establishment of the sacrament of reconciliation. That is, in which the power through the priesthood um, 
in the person of Christ, so not because the priest himself has the power to forgive sins, but rather um, acting in persona Christi would be the, uh, it, the Latin phrase, would be offering forgiveness through the grace of Jesus. So it's the, it's the forgiveness comes from God, not from the priest, but um, like all the sacraments, uh, there is a human element. You know, you don't baptize just by, um, you know, wishing it uh, would come down from heaven, but there's water poured over a baby's forehead, for example. There's the human messy element of it, and that is also the sacrament of confession. And you pointed out it is not just a, uh, you know, one shot, push the button, it's all done, as in, in Frank Sharon, Sharon's case. It's a matter of uh, a deep religious spiritual reflection. Tell, tell us about that process and what you think Sharon went through. Sure. So uh, for confession to be valid, there has to be contrition. So it's not magic. It's not I go into the box, I push a button, I come out, I'm all good now, I can do whatever I want. Um, maybe some people have that misconception, but there's no forgiveness there because one of the essential elements of confession is contrition. There has to be honesty and there has to be contrition. And contrition is a sorrow for our sins and a firm amendment not to sin again. And so, of course, in the, in the case of Frank Sheeran, we see that uh, especially as he got into the, you know, last years of his life, um, he did have serious contrition, or he had serious reflection, and I can only guess that there was contrition. I don't know, you can't, you can't know that because only the person who, uh, who is asking for forgiveness can know if he is he or she is contrite. Uh, but we have every reason to believe that he was at least seeking that type of contrition in his heart. And I believe, uh, according to the book, uh, he went to confession um, specifically about this issue of murder, uh, he went three times. And my guess is, uh, and this happens often, when somebody confesses a sin they've already confessed, the priest would say, listen, did you already, already confess that? And, and Frank, in this case, probably would have said, yes, I did. And the priest would have said, okay, once you've confessed that sin, you don't have to confess it again. Because we trust in God's mercy, no matter what size of sin it is, that God's mercy is greater than that sin. Uh, and yet the very natural human thing would be to say, oh, I just can't believe I've been forgiven this. And so you want to confess it again, just like perhaps in a, a relationship between a husband and wife in which uh, you feel so sorry for something you've done. You ask for forgiveness four or five times or a hundred times. Uh, but in the case of God's mercy, God's mercy is perfect and therefore once would be enough. I imagine, as they say in the natural, it would be uh, uh, for Frank Sharon to live the life that he did for many decades, having been an admitted mob killer, to uh, suddenly have the experience of confession and then actually being told, yes, he, he, he is, has God's grace, so to speak, is something that would be overwhelming. And then maybe you wouldn't believe it or, or wrap your brain around it at first. Yeah, that's right. And that's why uh, maybe it makes sense uh, that... that for the Catholic understanding of purgatory is in, in a, a time between when we die and when we enter into heaven, in which there's a time in which we're kind of working off um, the consequences of our sins. Not that God's mercy hasn't totally forgiven us, but just like in any relationship, uh, you know, if, we've, if we have been disloyal to our wife, 
um, it certainly helps to try to, you know, make it up uh, by saying, listen, I am so sorry, I'm going to show you. And we know that there's consequences also to our sins in, in the real world, but also in our relationship with God. And um, so I think uh, Frank recognized that and he knew that he couldn't just say, oh, I already asked for forgiveness. I'm all good. No, he had to start working that off um, to share in uh, the Lord's suffering for our sin. When I met him in 2001, uh, I, I don't think he was at that point. Uh, uh, the point in his life later when he entered a uh, assisted living, he had an apartment, then a nursing home. Uh, he uh, went to three priests. One was a Monsignor, uh, as well as telling a story, of course, to Charlie Brandt, the author, and, and, and confessing and telling the story to me. Um, what is the progress? If you've got a, uh, a young man, he, he grew, up, grew up in the church. His father uh, actually studied for the priesthood at one point. His mother regularly attended Mass. So how, and you've seen this before, I, I know, how do you, what is that life path like for someone who uh, is part of the church to go off that path and go into the path of, of the gangsters and the mafia and actually turn into someone who uh, commits the ultimate sin? Well, that, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of laughing to myself here, Eric, because you said he went to, to three priests. One of them was Monsignor, and then he confessed finally to you. <laughs> I mean the other way around. I apologize, Father. Oh, no, I loved it. <laughs> I love it. But it's true, you know, that sometimes our con confessions, um, certainly in the anonymity of, of the sacrament of, of reconciliation, it's a powerful experience. But, um, you know, there's also a, an important part of just a human um, renewal to be able to share with somebody else. Um are foibles. You, we think of, for example, um, the the great program of AA, right, in which um, alcoholics go and say, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, and they basically tell their stories over and over again from the worst times of their life, the bad things that they've done, and that is a very human thing. And to answer your question, you know, this whole, um, this whole mobster lifestyle that um, Frank was involved with, um, and in which the book is, and, and also the, the upcoming movie, um, really tells the story of, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very complicated way of life. And in the midst of the um, very sad situations of, of criminality, you, you also see there's a certain nobility, and that's why perhaps that lifestyle is attractive, uh, that you have people who are involved in kind of this family, right? This, um, you know, we protect each other, that we are involved with each other, that we take care of each other, we make our neighborhoods safe. There's a lot of good things. We even respect the church. Uh, some crazy, you know, this crazy dichotomy um, and, and a contradiction, truly, uh, between certain things that appear to be very noble and at the same time, a willingness to do some very terrible things. And I think that's the conflict that Frank had to deal with in his life. Uh, you know, the, I think, too, of, of the very, very strong um, value put on not being a rat, for example, right? I'm not going to tell on anyone, even if it means I'm going to go to jail for life. I'm not going to tell on anyone. That's perhaps the greatest sin in the mob life is being a rat. Well, you know, confessing 
is certain a kind of a recognition of one's wrongdoing, and maybe some would consider that being a rat. You know, you're you're denying uh, your you know where you came from and the people who made you and all the rest. So I think it's a fascinating um, human study of. Uh, you know that that we see in the story of Frank Sheeran. Yeah, uh, that don't be a Judas. Uh, basically, I would yeah. imagine don't be don't betray. And also, you're right about the in that world there is a it seems a tremendous respect for the church, which one would not think uh, based on their behavior w- would be there. Um, speaking I mean, of you know, which, you know, maybe there is respect for the church because I think they realize that the church does good things for the neighborhood, for society, mm-hmm. for all of that. There's also a little bit of a superstition, I think, there, to be honest. You know, like, hey, listen, let's not mess with the church. You know, we got we to gotta answer to God eventually. You know, let's keep, you know, let's keep our mm-hmm. uh, foot, you know, in, on the side of grace. Uh, so it, it, it is very interesting. And is, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, is there a policy? I, I remember, uh, for example, with John Gotti, uh, former head of the Gambino crime family when he died of natural causes. Paul Castellano, godfather of the, the Gambinos, the ultimate godfather, shot to death in front of Sparks Steakhouse. Um, they were denied public funeral masses, one by the Brooklyn Diocese, the other by the Archdiocese. But then Whitey Bulger up in uh, Boston, who was murdered in prison uh, recently, he, he received a public, though small, public funeral mass. Has there been a policy change? Was there ever a policy in terms of the church and, and, and offering funeral masses for mobsters? You know, it's not so much a policy change as much as, I think, a, um, a change also in, in the way in which um, the you know, mobster life has evolved. Uh, what the church tried to avoid was having a big show um, of a funeral that would somehow involve the church in blessing the lifestyle of a mobster. Right. In which there would be all these fancy cars pull up and the guy would be glorified as a great savior of the community. And the church does not want to be involved in that. And in the past has been involved in that. Let's be honest about it. Um, And so there was a time in which we said the church said no, no public funeral for mobsters. But that was just in order to avoid that type of blessing of the mobster life. Um, you know, also the church, for example, to give another, um, you know, a similar a situa- situation in which you, you see that how the church has changed. Uh, there used to be not even a, um, a funeral for somebody who commits suicide because the idea was, well, um, if somebody commits suicide, it's like the ultimate rejection of God. And therefore, what's the purpose of basically praying for that person's soul if they have ultimately rejected God, but just through um, what we we know about suicide now, uh, science has developed, and we know that so many times um, it's not so much an ultimate decision against God, but it's mental health issues. So um, I think you know um, we've also come, uh, we've advanced also in our relationship not only with uh, the question of suicide, but also dealing with mobsters. Mm-hmm. If you could, it took a while. Yeah, exactly, and and forgiving sins. Um, you, you mentioned a movie that is this what, what promises to be probably the last great mob movie. It's The Irishman because Frank was Frank the Irishman Sharon, and it's a special joy uh, for me. We're friends for a long time, uh, colleagues at Fox News, and um, turns out 
you you're in the movie. You actually play uh, a priest who takes Frank Sharon's confession. Uh, I interviewed you. You're in our our Fox Nation special, uh, uh, Riddle: The Search for James R. Hoffa. So tell me, Father, how that came about. Uh, that that you got tapped by Hollywood to be Frank Sharon's priest. <laughs> it's kind of funny, even just hearing you saying say it, because the way it happened was really interesting. Uh, um, a friend of a friend contacted me and said, they didn't tell me what the movie was about, but they said, would you be interested um, in reading this script about, you know, about this priest? And I was very busy and I, and I said, no, I'm not able to do it. Uh, and I didn't know what, what this movie was. And I said, well, just send me the script. Let me see. Uh, let me look at it. They sent me, you know, the few pages, but without saying who was in it even. Um, and um, one thing led to another. I ended up going and reading the script, um, and um, I did. I still did not know who was in this. And at the um, the the lady who was doing the casting, you know, said, um, "Hey, would you uh, would you be able to come back tomorrow and, and read this um, for Bob and Marty?" And I said, "You know, I thought maybe Bob and Marty were, were were her maybe maybe they were her." assistance or something uh -huh. you know? but it, 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 Bob was Robert De Niro and Marty was Martin Scorsese and uh, so I, I realized that and I said uh, okay and I came and they had it was really interesting this has a lot about Martin uh, Scorsese and uh, Robert De Niro but um, they had in the waiting room I thought I was going to be the only one they had three professional actors and uh, two other Catholic priests and myself were all in this room uh, down in uh, the lobby of the Standard Hotel, which is a very kind of um, very hip hotel mm -hmm. in Manhattan. Really trendy, trendy yeah, very place. Trendy. And we're sitting there, and it's very uncomfortable for me at least because I'm not trying to like get a part in a movie, <laughs> you know. And then you have these three professional actors who are definitely trying. You know, and and I feel bad for them that I'm even involved in this. Okay, uh -huh. There's these two other priests there, and now it's uncomfortable. We're like, <laughs> we are, we're all like competing for this role, and I go, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But anyway, I went up, you know, to this uh, hotel room, and um, I I read the script, and I said to them right in that in that moment, I said, listen, I I'll just be very honest with you. Um, number one. Um, there's things in the script that I don't really like, and I'm not comfortable mm. doing as a priest. Uh, and that is that it's it, it was coming across to me um, as, you know, this is just, you know, kind of magic, as we discussed. You know, you come in, you talk, ah, sorry, Father, you know, I killed someone, you know, sorry about that. Oh, my son, don't worry about it. God bless you. Go away. Everything is good. You're going to heaven. It's not quite like that. That's exaggerated. But I told Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro, this is what where I would change things. And they were fascinated and they were interested. Which And, 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 and Mar not to interrupt you, but Martin Scorsese, well known, of course, uh, for uh, his fascination and delving into the subject of spirituality and religion with uh, several of his films. Yes, most definitely. And he actually he grew up. Uh, down in uh, Lower Manhattan, in Little Italy of of Lower Manhattan, where I was living for a bunch of years too at uh, St. Patrick's Old Cathedral. Yep, so there's yep, you, you pastored. You were there. Yes, I was there for four years. Uh, but 
what what I was fascinated about you know, the whole experience was first of all they were smart to to bring in real priests um, if they want to try to make a real movie mm-hmm. and a movie that represents reality and I said to them I respect you guys for not just for not just going with the kind of stereotypical you know stuff that Hollywood does about religion or about the priesthood in this case or confession but wanting to know at least how it really is and so I said I respect you guys for that I'm I'm not interested in being involved unless I can change this this wow. this uh, and they listened they listened wow that's a good artist and and what did it what what uh, describe the scene a bit what did you want changed or what what ultimately uh, resulted in your changes in in an emotional confession in which uh, Robert De Niro plays a Frank Sharon. Yeah, you know, we just had a bunch of conversations after I did that first reading um, at that hotel. Then the next day they had me go out on set. This was towards the end of the movie, uh, the end of the filming of, of the movie. I don't know why they didn't have, you know, the actor at that point. Um, I don't know if they had somebody and they changed. I have no idea. But the filming was almost done. There was only a couple of weeks left of filming. So I went out this um, and I I spent a whole bunch of days uh, with them. And um, Robert De Niro, I think famously, especially when he's working with Marty Scorsese, um, ad-libs, you know, he un- and uh, Scorsese un- understands De Niro obviously very well and respects him tremendously as an actor and he lets him go for it, go for it. And so I, ex- I expressed this and this is what, this is how I would do it. You know, if I'm dealing with somebody who at the end of their life um, is coming to contrition about what they've done, um, this is how I'm going to deal with them. I'm not just going to say, hey, don't worry about it. You're all good. Everything is good. No, I'm going to get in there and talk to you about what it means to be contrite, what it means to be sorry for your sin. And uh, they let me go for it. And, uh, you know, Eric, I don't know if this is going to show up in the, in the movie or not. Um, I think Scorsese and, and De Niro were probably shocked um, watching me. But as I was confessing De Niro, Frank Sheeran, uh, I, as the priest, was crying mm. over and over again because I felt the power of God's love and mercy for this man. You know, De Niro is so good at, um, well, he's, so, he's such a good actor, you know, and, and he just was so real and his, you know, kind of in a certain way flippant um, expression of his contrition, you know, he was like, well, well, this is just the way of the life, you know, this is the way we did things, I don't know, you know, I didn't feel bad about anything except for this, you know, for this particular, because he was my friend, you know, and I, I was suffering alongside of him. Um, the, con- the conflict that he had in his interior about what it means to be contrite after having lived a very complex and I would say sinful life. And I sensed the goodness in him, but at the same time, I felt the conflict and it made me cry. And over and over again, take after take, I was crying wow. as I was confessing him. And uh, they were probably like, oh, my gosh, we got the wrong guy. 
<laughs> that, no, I, they absolutely had the, got the right guy. And, you know, Father, that, that's just this indication of how you, you put 100% in everything you do. Your love, it was your honesty, your dedication, your faith, uh, the way you live your life. Uh, I can't wait to see that. And, and you know what also it means? What's that? You're going to be the most famous mob movie priest since Carl Malden and on the waterfront. <laughs> you know what's wild is that I'm Irish. <laughs> I should be Italian. What's up with that? <laughs> well, you know, Carl Malden, I think he was nominated for an Academy Award in 1954 for, for the, uh, when he played Father Barry. Um, oh. And is there, what's the name of the character that you play in, in, in The Irishman? Uh, young Priest. Young, pr- young Priest. Okay. <laughs> that's they, at least that's what my trailer said. Okay. <laughs> well, Father Jonathan Morris, uh, always a pleasure. Dear friend, um, wonderful part of the movie. And I thank you for your insight and helping our listeners and explaining, I also think, Frank Sharon, because here you have this complicated, uh, complex character, this man who... Uh, was in the mob all these years, who did very bad things, ultimate, the ultimate s- sinner, uh, the most horrible sins uh, that hu- humans can, can, can partake in. And yet he, at the end, uh, and ha- uh, turned to God. Uh, and I believe uh, very, uh, in his own way, honestly and, and, and forthrightly. Eric, just to, to finish, you know, it's interesting. I think this relates to all of our lives, too, is um, I don't know how, but somehow I ended up this Irish kid from the Midwest, right? I'm from Michigan, Ohio. I ended up being sent to Rome for nine years of my for preparation and then after my priesthood. Then I come back to New York and I'm sent down to Little Italy down in lower Manhattan, mm-hmm. Mulberry Street, and then... I get sent up here to Arthur Avenue in the Bronx, like what they call the real little Italy. I can't get right away from these Italians. <laughs> and now all of a sudden I'm in some, you know, mobster movie. You know, God has a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. That, that's true. I think both, both in the movies and in the real life for you and what you've done. Father, wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. We look forward to, to our special. You're in it, of course, as you know, and to the film The Irishman. Father Jonathan Morris, thank you. Thanks for listening today. Check out all the other Riddle podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And just Google my name, put Frank Sherwin next to it, or Jimmy Hoffa, and you can see the other articles we've written. And you can keep up with my reporting on Fox News. I'm Eric Sean. Thanks again for Riddle, the podcast. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.